0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Really interesting uh, episode on tap for you today. We have Gavin uh, of Grupo Floor. And Grupo Floor is basically a turnkey solution uh, for growers or manufacturers that are currently in the black market in California that wanna come into the light and do things legit. He helps with a whole bunch of stuff, but specifically he will lease you land that he's bought. He's bought a lot of land in the Central Valley, and in, in Salinas Valley, and he's licensing it out, leasing it out as well as helping with regulations and and other ancillary businesses to help support these newfound legal growers it's really interesting stuff i learned a lot uh, about how it, the central valley is developing you're going to learn a lot certainly uh, thanks for being here guys tune in listen up get acquainted Gavin, thanks so much for uh, for being on the show today. Uh, I had a chance to look into your background. Really excited to talk about the number of things that you have done. But let's start with uh, just your your day to day today. Uh, Grupo Floor. How would you describe what Grupo Floor is?
1: Uh, group of Floor is essentially a a system of of uh, companies. And I say system because it wasn't designed to be vertically integrated, but it sort of turned out that way. Um, I think the best way to describe it is understand that Group 04 started out as a real estate licensing concern. Basically, the goal was to secure properties that were in permitted zones within Monterey County and then uh, turn around and and lease those uh, at a profit to cannabis operators uh, across the entire um wholesale supply chain so from nursery all the way to uh retail and so uh grupo now has two point you know just under 2.7 million square feet of properties uh throughout monterey county and the municipalities within monterey county and we which have to, is
0: a lot i mean we should just stop yeah. to think about that number yeah. for a second that is, that is a whole lot i'm not sure how it compares to comparable businesses and other industries but it certainly sounds like a big number to me
1: uh, it sounds like a big number to me too, but it's you know it's how you eat an elephant, right? Piece by piece, and and we didn't intend it to. We just kind of went for it, as it were. In in my partners, as you, as you know, I'm an attorney by trade. But my partners are real estate brokers, so they had extensive relationships. We had the GIS from the county, which allowed us to see where the zones in Monterey County would be. And uh, you know, we, we sort of thought if we could get properties in permitted zones, and we can offer operators the you know partnerships where we can help them. Uh, we would get the land use permits, and then provide whatever relationships we could to help our tenants succeed. We could have a pretty pretty bitch an ecosystem, and that that was really the original goal. Um, still very much of what we do. Um, are so, and the reason that I wanted to paint that picture is it's important that when I say vertically integrated, that there's not this concept of sort of the standard oil, you know, monopoly or like there's some organizational goal to like control the universe and we own everything. It's it's not like that at all. It's rather um, an ecosystem that is founded. The predicate of the ecosystem is all this leased properties, and we do deals all the times where we we introduce tenants to tenants so that they're successful. And and oftentimes we don't even participate meaningfully, um, if at all, uh, financially. It's just that it, the stronger the ecosystem is and the more integrated it is, uh, the more stable it is. And so that's been a big part of what we do. And when I, when I think about all the money that we've spent and energy we spent um, meeting with politicians and driving regulatory changes and 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 promoting Monterey County as the plumbing. Opportunity, or the Central Coast really is a plumbing opportunity for California's evolving cannabis industry. That's really what we've done, and and as a result of that, we've we've kept a number of the the better properties uh, for ourselves, and have partnerships on some of those properties, and others we're running it you know under a subsidiary entirely alone, and so um, we have a, a multiplicity of opportunities. Uh, no matter what part of the supply chain you get into you know yeah absolutely
0: uh fascinating so people that come to you are they generally people that are are trying to get into the cannabis industry and and sort of looking for a a turnkey solution or are these existing cultivators and and manufacturers that are looking to make it legal or you know who's kind of the, the ideal customer profile
1: yeah, the ideal customer profile is somebody who's already been operating, has a pretty good deal of relationships, uh, capital access, and and a good deal of sophistication. I think that philosophically, what Grupo has recognized, um, at least the founders, we founders have recognized that you know there's a, a reason and a season for everything, and and so if I was to say what's the the salient marker of, of Grupo Floor's existence. It's to bridge this gap between the black market and, and the regulated market because it requires two <laughs> things, right? You need, to have, you, have, you need to have the deep love and passion, advocacy, and skill set that goes with the black market around medical marijuana in California. <laughs> but then you also have to have people who know how to scale a goddamn business. And those two are often not r- reposed in the same person, and in fact, rarely are they reposed in the same person. Uh, if you, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about this area in raising capital. When you look at you look at the black market. You know, scaling is not a culture of black market, right? Scaling exposes you to law enforcement and possible attack from competitors. So scaling is, is very difficult, and it's not something we talk a lot about. I, I've had a number of farmers trying to raise money and saying, hey, I just want to make my half a million and be cool. I need to raise some money. And it's like, well, nobody's going to raise, nobody's going to give you money to stay static. They People mm-hmm. put money in so they get sure. something out of it. and So that's why you yep. get so screwy deals in cannabis. and cannabis. The other thing is, you know, there, there's no data. You can't, black." <laughs> You know data is proof of criminality so it's rare that you show up with an operator that has data and then lastly contracts are not enforceable so i mean I, you know i don't know about your experience but my experience is that i never quite know who i'm dealing with i don't know if i'm dealing mm-hmm. with the original operator or there's five other or ten other silent partners in the background and so what we've done and is, it was designed
0: yeah. specifically that way right yeah, it, it, totally. it's not just a lack of sophistication i no, think that this is a misnomer totally. uh, it's not a lack of sophistication it's designed uh, to not know who's at the heart of it in, in a lot of cases. A, With, that's yeah. a
1: great point. It is a great point. And I, I, I I don't like that. Uh, I, I, I thank you for saying that because really, it's not fair to say unsophisticated. It's just not the season for that kind of business model, but that's a very successful black market business model. Mm-hmm. And it's going through a somewhat tortured evolution into the regulated market. Um, and, and so... Part of what Grupo has been about is how can we combine those? How can we combine the best of black market, you know, texture with the best of uh, scaling uh, at this time, so and, that and they how can do survive. You,
0: how do you build that trust? You know, I mean, if you're dealing with someone that's been in the black market, or five or six parties that are in, you know, the black market, how do you get them to to trust what you're doing? I mean, they have to be so resistant to something like that, no?
1: Yeah, frequently they are. Um, and so I, I think that the answer to that is it's deeds, not words. You know, there's t- tons of people to have all kinds of shit to talk about when it comes to, you know, it's kind of like the dealing with governments, right? Governments will sit there and you talk to them, blue in the face, about how great you're going to be. But the end of the day is, what do you do? So what we do is we provide value adds and, and 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 assistant and relationships for free. We say, hey, I got a tenant that can't pay, but he's got, you know, uh, you know, he's got a uh, uh, A lot of produce that he can't sell so you know product that he can't sell so I know somebody who's buying fire og in southern california i'll put those two together they'll transact a deal i'm not brokering i'm just putting the two together but the nice thing about Mm -hmm. that is now my tenant can pay my rent and my tenant says hey these guys and group are actually really kind of looking out for us and we did the same thing at moss landing we've got 21 or so tenants out at moss landing which is a business park in north county of monterey and uh, the Coastal Commission sort of shut down the entirety of the, the park and threatened it. And so, you know, we organized and pulled together lobbyists and put our assets together. And, and, and it was tough to try to coordinate. I mean, you know, pot farmers are they're not the kind of folks that like to hang out together all the time, you know. They're sort of, you know, they're lone wolves, right, for a purpose, and that—that's uh, for safety. I imagine is originally where that culture comes from, but it also just sort of attracts that kind of person. And so, to get them to participate in sharing the labor, lobby, the, the lobbying costs was really tough at first, but once they started to see some results, and able to get things like. Uh, you know to be able to continue to do what they're doing there and the government knows that they're doing it. they're not shutting them down. it's given them the commitment they're not going to shut down. it's not something that they independently could have obtained, but by working with us they were able and are able to obtain. And so I think that that's how you build trust as you, um, you you offer those services for free. And as a result you know Grupo's really struggling um, in, a, in in terms of capital, you know, uh, controls because we have a lot of money going out that benefits a whole and we've had to sort of do this gut check. Like, you know, are we, are we just getting, are we just getting robbed here and, and trying to help everybody out as altruism is really some benefit that comes around. And we've, we've had that struggle a lot internally. I'll just share with you. Um, and happy to say on, on this end of things, it's like, no, that was, that was worth it. That was this, that was the right thing to do. It wasn't just, it wasn't just advocacy. It was also self-service um, it's it's hard to balance those two occasionally or often. You know?
0: So I think what I heard is that you've created a suite of services, uh, all in pursuit and making sure that your tenants can pay their rent every month. Uh, is that I, basically I mean, is some, the case?
1: In, yeah, I I would say that not as formal as that though, Brandon. It's just that that's mm. just what we did. Mm. We just you know it's not. I wouldn't yeah. say it's a suite of services like choose from a menu of A, B, and C. That's not it at all. It's just when we see a tenant's mm. got. You know, all of a sudden we've got three tenants and one tenant's using too much electricity, and the other tenants are suffering. And they're like, "How do we solve this problem?" They're all entitled to a certain amount of electricity, and there's not you know s- systems and breakers so that they can share across the board. And so then we have to spend money to try to come up with a system and r- arrangements between them so we can share electricity so everybody benefits. Um, you know, it's, it, it, there's complexities that that come up, um, and you just Instead of saying, hey, screw it, let them figure it out, you, you, you roll up your sleeves and you go figure it out for them, even though you're not required to do it yourself. Um, I think it's just kind of going above and beyond and showing that you're really concerned. And I think, Got it. you know, here's a concept I use is it, it's basically like throwing a banquet. And the banquet, there's going to be people that show up at that table that are going to stuff pears and plums and biscuits in their pockets and walk away and steal. And uh, we've had that happen. People steal from us. But in, in, in large part, um, most people have turned out to be really great guests and participants in the banquet. And as the suckers that come in and steal um, get shed off uh, and are replaced with people who are really good guests and really want to participate in this environment and have a really good party um, atmosphere, you know, the, the, that in the analogy – that's kind of what you end up with, and, and if you're just so caught up with getting burned, that you just can't have that kind of an environment. Then you're not going to succeed with this. And we've been lucky enough that we've been able to stomach a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the ill will and, and stabs that we've gotten from people who took advantage of of what we're trying to do. Um, and, and now we've got a pretty stable environment, and we're we're really happy with it
0: that's awesome um okay so i'm let's pretend i'm a medium-sized grower um and i decide that i it's time for me to go legit we've got 2018 pending and i got to start paying taxes and and all these different things and i i call you uh do i need to pack up my grow and lease new land from you or you know what's my what's my next step there
1: Yeah, well, right now, all of our properties are oversubscribed, meaning all of our, all of our, that 2.7 is leased. Got it. Um, There are people who are possibly not going to make it through regulatory environment for whatever reason. Pesticides, Mm -hmm. they're running Mm -hmm. too short on cash flow. I mean, just the typical problems businesses have could sink somebody, but then, you know, add the layer of cannabis compliance and it it could wipe out the best of operators. So um, we have a pretty deep list of people to, you know who are sort of ready to step into uh, uh, an existing facility. Back yeah. So to, to your answer, to, to answer your question, my my first thing would say, well, that sounds very interesting. What kind of grow do you have? Uh, what are your techniques? You know, in terms of what you're cultivating, or, or you know, how are you handling your 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 pest management? Um, what's the what are the strains you're running? And 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 uh, if it's stuff that we can use for production of oil, what's the throughput? Um, it's one thing to have clean. Clean product that you can squeeze and, and get um, a, a good value concentrate or distillate out of. But what's the throughput on it? Um, how old is it? Uh, it maybe there's a long term buy solution. I mean, I, I would say I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a. a um, letting any cat secrets or cats out of the bag here. Um, we're about to get a massive constriction on this market. That's going to bifurcate black market from regulated market,
0: mm-hmm. and um,
1: no. who's going to survive that? And and um, I, for a while, it looked like the state was going to allow, you know, one year, 2018, where people could sort of, you know, test out, stub their toes on the, on the walkway before they got used to working environment. Now, they're just like, no, we're, we're enforcing January 1, 2018. That requires a, a massive shift. And so I, I question how many dispensaries are going to survive. Um, all, of those, all the people that are in the dispensaries with backpacks, which oftentimes outnumber the amount of patients what happens to all those guys that are cameling and trying to sell off their packs here and there? They're gone. Mm-hmm. If they don't do track and trace and they're not participating, uh, is a dispensary going to risk their entire license you know, for four guys named Trevor, Justin, and Tyler that show up with a backpack to sell their weed? I don't think so. So where is that weed <laughs> going to go? Besides New York, where else is it going to go?
0: So yeah, that, that brings up uh, a kind of a broader question here. How much of the black market in California is going to persist?
1: I think uh, a good a good amount of it for, for some time. The question mm-hmm. that, if I can refine that question a little bit, is, I think uh, there's going to be an uptick. What I would expect is an uptick in traffic going out of state, and so a reduction mm-hmm. in prices got for product getting out of state. Um, that that seems sort of a, an obvious to me. Um, the question is, will the state? Uh, And local regul—I think probably better rather than state—is let me talk about the locals. Will local governments realize that by overcomplicating the processing of permits and overtaxing, that they're actually defeating the very purpose of this whole Mm. shift from ban and imprison to tax and regulate? Because
0: yeah, well said.
1: Right. The problem Mm -hmm. is that we've got generational growers. And cultivators and we've got people we've got a very robust black market industry and so as a business matter it's quite simple if the cost of compliance and the cost of taxes is greater than continuing to suffer the risk of the black market the black markets not going anywhere if you can reduce the cost of tax and reduce the cost of compliance so it's more attractive than black market then black market will shift over into the regulated market. The problem culturally we're having is that those folks that pass the regulations are law-abiding citizens that can't, could not stomach the idea of working in a black market, and so they're putting that headset on when evaluating the value proposition to people who have sometimes been have grown up in black market families. So we're yeah. going through a very difficult evolution right now, in this and it's cultural, I think.
0: Is this a lack of empathy for? Uh, that business owner and where they've been in the past and, and how to help them transition to the future, which is, I suppose, where you come in. Um, okay. So putting myself back in the ideal customer profile, uh, you offer a number of services, uh, mainly, which sounds like leasing, uh, land for, for any number of purposes, manufacturing or grow grows, you know, any number, any pieces of the supply chain. Um, why work with you as opposed to go it alone? I mean, you uh, I'm assuming you're getting a a fairly decent cut out of this, uh, you know, as as opposed to buying something directly. How easy is it to buy something directly? I mean, you you must get that question fairly frequently.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's capital intensive to buy, and one of the problems with with our industry is that um, you know there's 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 really weak access to capital. So to buy property, you know, let me put it this way, um, rarely. Do people go and buy a house and say, here's $1.2 million for that house in carmel value in cash? They just yep. don't do that. What do we do? We go to a bank and the bank finances. You know, It's just rare that there's a capital. When you look a capital call for the entirety, when you look at how our industry goes, it's like, all right, I harvest. And then I take a third of my total value from my harvest and I buy my CapEx, right, my capital expenditures. And I buy it mm-hmm. all in cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's only now in the last I don't know two years maybe that I've seen opportunity people say hey you want to lay in H you know uh, HPS or even LED um, I mean I think mm-hmm. this is one of the major problems why LED hasn't been adopted is you know the, the to come up with 1.2 million dollars in lights uh, in one bump is just ridiculous but if you could yep. if you could if you could leverage capital and and lease it then you would but those those are only now starting to come out so my point being what farmers do. And extractors, I mean, I bought machines and I, I don't finance that stuff. I pay it all in cash. You know, there bang There's $175,000 um, You know, I'll let you count it twice in front of me um, That's how we buy things in the cannabis industry. So buying a piece of properties is for the very well-heeled um, and Very rich that are able to do it. Most people can't handle that. And So we take a farm and um, It's got multiple greenhouses on it and We'll divvy it up and say hey, here's a greenhouse and, and a farmer can raise a million and a half dollars or so to build it out and renovate it And you know, they've got investors um, We can structure a deal for them and they've got a 20-year lease You know we do, we, we give them a lot of value so that they've got a long time to build it out We oftentimes don't start collecting rent for a number of months before they've really had a chance to start doing some get a couple runs uh, going um, before they start paying rent and oftentimes not oftentimes, always the rent is scaled. So it's not like, you know, we don't front load it. I mean, we're trying to help build this industry out as well. And, and, um, that's, you know, and that's the leasing piece. And, and to back off, back up here and answer your first question, why would somebody work with Grupo Floor? Well, I've been we've been talking primarily about Grupo properties, but there's a whole other component, which is floor cultivation, which is a subsidiary that does our propagation and bloom, 710 Combinator, which is our manufacturing, and that's comprised of extraction, uh, post-processing, and consumer packaged good production. Um, and East of Eden, which is a distribution, wholesale distribution as well as retail chain, and so we're able to, if I find a farm and I'm like, wow, it's super clean flour, and and, and they've got a real dedication to the art and to to wow. um, patient safety, uh, we can do a deal with them and say, listen, you know, we'll buy X amount of your flour or you know X amount of your trim, if not all of it. And we can disperse it in different areas of our, our supply chain, and, and it's valuable to you. You've got stability in your sale. And so that's an example of how we can do it. It's, it's, I blanch a little bit when you say services, because I don't want you to think we're really – it's not that we're a services company with a menu. We are just happen to have a company that has a lot of different um, access points in the supply chain. And so whether you're an extractor or nursery or manufacturer – um, there's always deals to be made. We're kind of deal junkies. And I think that that's probably the better way to think about what Group of Floor is in terms of its operations.
0: So when a company becomes part of the ecosystem, and maybe that's a better term than the, the suite of services, uh, how frequently do they take advantage of more of the entities uh than just one so you know they they lease a property from you uh is it understood is it baked into the deal that they also use you know the the cpg stuff or the distribution yeah, stuff or yeah. you know how does that how does that come together
1: well um so so i think this this my answer question will sort of unveil another aspect of how we think about stuff is we're not interested in prisoners So what we when we bake a deal when we bake deal points um, like that. So for example, a manufacturer comes into one of our facilities. You know, we don't bake into the deal. You've got to buy all of our all of our trim, and we don't bake into the deal. You've got to use our distribution. Instead, we say, hey, you're going to be a preferred partner. We're going to have a most favored nations clause, and that means we're never going to offer to anybody else a lower price than what we're offering you. And if we offer better benefit, then hopefully they'll come with us. If we can't, then you know, by gun, they should go with somebody else, and then we're doing something wrong. So we really try to keep it a equal playing field, so that they have access to the entirety of the vertical. We don't like to lock people in because I think um, culturally that's kind of ugly to those of us mm-hmm. in the industry. We're we're a sharing economy. I think that when I think about cannabis, I'm like, it's about sharing and it's about freedom, and locking people into into deals um, that are that are damaging like that is bad for relationships and and this is a long term deal we all have a lot of ups and downs in the next 5 years as this we go through this evolution so really more about trying to create yeah, a – I think
0: the only the only scalable strategy is to make the other arms of the ecosystem so strong and the offering so compelling, um, that they'd be foolish not to use it. Right. Yeah. As opposed to trying to lock someone into, I mean, so, um, so long which as make, can, makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, so long as we can meet their, their needs. And sometimes, you know, it could turn out that we can't meet their needs in some areas, but there'll be, you know, out, out of, out of, out of 10 people, you know, maybe five, four or five of them, um, we're good for it. And, and, and like I said, reason and season, maybe not in 2018, but maybe 2020, we're a better deal and we're still there. And so it's, it's Got really it. about keeping all those relationships open and flowing where their deal can be had so that we can be flexible. You know, as we go, as a lawyer, I tell people right now, the two key ingredients to success are patience and flexibility. You must maintain maximum mm-hmm. flexibility in your business design. Um, and, and, and that's because, uh, when I think about the group Florida and, and our, our subsidiary or our, our business units—I um, think of them as shock absorbers. Each one is a shock absorber that is going to be able to take the blows and the changes um, of what the, the the road we're about to go down. And so. Um, You know there's there's some long-term strategies for example i think about cultivation i go well like from world war one to world war two your best investment was in cargill and some of these larger agro companies you know ag companies that did mass ag but by 1952 to 1955 if you weren't more deployed in brands like carnation and best you know general mills you missed the boat and I think it's going to be a lot like that in cannabis. You can see the buying swoop, the 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 arc of you know, cannabis oil infused products is like growing at a massive, massive uptick, uh, yeah. massive uptick. So, so you can't, um, you cannot um, uh, deny that. So if you get super, super heavy and deep and exposed in cultivation. Uh, and you're in there a long term without some consideration of where your energies are going to go um, down the road. Um, you know, that's short term thinking. and So I really question yep. a lot of the strategies that some of these big companies are doing, raising $20 million and buying farms all over the place. Um, well intentioned, but I don't know if that's the best long term strategy
0: yep I hear that uh, give me a, a sense for the scope of the business here uh, of the 2.7 million square acres that are that are spoken for how many parties is that you know how many entrepreneurs is oh, that broken
1: geez. into um, I couldn't even venture a guess I can tell you that well I suppose I should be able to venture a guess I,
0: um, I mean round numbers is good is it a hundred is it two oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, no, hundred how- I
1: would expect it's probably a hundred you know if you consider uh um Probably a hundred and hundred and change. I, I would just kind of guess off the top of my head. Yeah. I think maybe something I can, you know, we've done this exercise, uh, so I can answer more, more consistently that, that 30% of our portfolio is outdoor green or not outdoor, but is greenhouse, uh, 30% uh-huh. is indoor in the cultivation. Um, okay. I think we've got about, uh, 20% is retail. And, okay. uh, uh, another, uh, another 20 is like maybe 40% is retail distribution. And then the remainder is manufacturing. Got it. Yeah. You know, so that's, but that's these, this a lot a of relationships, right? I mean, this is, it is, and it,
0: it is, In essence, a lot of sales cycles, too. I mean, if, if you look at it just in terms of a business, I mean, you've put a lot of sweat, man hours, you and the team into forming all these relationships, so heavy on the sales side. No,
1: heavy on the sales side, and lots yeah. of touch. You know, it's, um, it's it's a, it, a high touch uh, situation and uh, there's there's all kinds of issues that come up when you've got multiple farmers with styles on one farm sharing properties they for the most part they're all getting along and things are going well but um, you know it it it, it is it's high touch and it's a, it's a lot of relationship management and uh, sometimes we succeed and like any business sometimes we don't and we try to to the extent that you know is reasonable um we try to learn from when we can, not you know. But uh, yep. these are these are the years, right? I mean, we're not. You and I are not going to see an opportunity in our lifetime like creating this industry from scratch. And so, um, we're we're all in. And, and I'm sure, like everybody who's listening to this podcast, I mean, this is, you know, this is not a part time job. This is not even a, This is not even a job. This is you know total immersion.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, so, is is there sort of like a, any kind of standardized pricing in terms of leasing? Uh, you know, is, are they all sort of customized negotiations? Uh, you know, how, it, give me a feeling for how much it costs to, to lease land from you.
1: Yeah, um, it depends on when the relationship was established because the prices have have fluctuated, and it's also. Depends on the I mean even no two greenhouses are alike, so it's it's mm-hmm. tough to give you examples So what I will say uh, As a rule of thumb something that's just totally run down and requires a lot of, of Maybe even let's do this tear down, you know, it can be it, it can be um, Ratcheted where it starts out at 65 cents And then you know after things are built out and you're down a couple of years it goes up to a dollar 25, right? Um, at the very, very high end, if you go in and you've got a glass cathedral and it's all clean and cement floored and heating implements are in place and the louvers all work so you can have positive pressure systems, that could be up to $2.20 a square foot. You know, It just really depends mm-hmm. on, on the spectrum. And so when you look at the Salinas Valley, it is comprised of, of all these different cut flower farms that, to put it bluntly, failed at a different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the impacts of NAFTA were felt uh, and the cut flower industry migrated from the Salinas Valley to Bogota or Venezuela, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, they all failed at different times. So I've got greenhouses that were built in the 40s and I've got greenhouses that were built in the 80s, you know, so they all come in different configurations.
0: And how much improvement are you doing to these properties? I mean, you know, at the top end when they're all new and, and outfitted and everything, is that you hiring a contractor and putting work into it or, or you're reselling what, what's available
1: um, or, or rather
0: leasing out what's, what's available?
1: Well, so, so um, what we do is um, – It depends on the deal. Um, But I would say by and large, what we do is we, Group 04, will take the responsibility for getting the land use permit, meaning uh, uh, approval from the county uh, Mm -hmm. or the applicable city um, that allows us to run a cannabis business and then the tenant... Is responsible for getting the um, the actual business use because they're are two separate things, mm-hmm. and so we put that on them to get the business use. So, uh, you know what the operation is going to be, how much um, they're going to operate what their security systems, all that kind of stuff is handled by the tenant. Uh, what we handle is the um, the making sure that the Uh, We get approval from the county on a build plan so that fire suppression, um, law enforcement, and fire access to the property is clean, that there's, uh, uh, you know, adequate water, there's not environmental hazards. So um, that's usually how the split goes. We we handle the land use. They handle the business use.
0: Got it. Tell me a little bit about uh, Salinas Valley and the Central Coast. Specifically as it relates to cannabis uh, most people consider you know the emerald triangle and, and northern california to be the best place for cannabis You talk a little bit about the differences or, or the advantages even
1: yeah for sure. Um, and a lot of our growers are from the northern counties hmm. Um, and we have a good number from the south as well, and they they, they come they they're, they're sort of two different reasons one I think it's important to to consider like, you know, I was raised as a kid, I spent a lot of time as a child um, in in Mendocino County, and a family was up there. And in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, it was just, that was just, cannabis was just part of the tapestry there. Um, Greater than part of the the tapestry, it's sort of the dominant economic thread, and still is. And, but there's a reason for that, is that it's tough to enforce up there. Right, people. The reason Humboldt and the try the hold that whole Trinity and those, those, the, the, the coast got so um, rich with cannabis culture is that that's where you could go to hide from police, which is kind of funny because you look at the Google Maps now, mm. it's like how hard is it to find pot in, in Humboldt, right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, that wasn't the case in the 70s and 80s, and mm. um, so. You know, and, and similarly, Monterey County. You know, the biggest pot areas were were Big Sur, right? It's remote and tough to get to, and Kashawad, mm-hmm. deep in Carmel Valley, same deal. Re- mm. Remote and tough to get to, and so where the Salinas Valley is located now is a flat ground. Uh, most of my farms are less than a mile, two miles from the 101, less mm-hmm. than. Three miles from all the processing centers in the city of Salinas, which has built its whole, you know, culture on agriculture and agricultural processing and distribution. So, yep. uh, you know, so the the advantages um, are significant. What I hear a lot of from the north coast is a lot of animosity, like, oh, you're all great big, you know, harborside style, like big growers. Mm-hmm. And and um, I think that's said with a lot of animosity because they're, they're concerned about the threat of Monterey County. Um, and its advantages in terms of in a regulated market, yeah, it's really easy to do business here, you know. But it, it's it's for a different reason, right? It's now mm. it's in a regulated mm. market, so it has that advantage. It was a decidedly yep. disadvantage in 1980 to be growing pot on the Salinas Valley floor because you you couldn't mm. hide, right? And you easily popped, um, and so it's just it's just a shift in 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 reason. So. Um, I, I'm finding that most of our growers are still small growers. I don't know any, I mean, I just, I don't know the viability of growing high quality, um, you know, safe cannabis. When I say safe, I mean, you know, pesticide levels are, are de minimis, um, in a reasonable way that that's in a really huge gray and grow. And I know, I know they do it in, 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 Colorado and some other areas in Canada, they've done it, um. I, I'm as sort of get a foul mouth in my taste from that as do the growers in the North Coast. I mean, most, are, not most, all of my farms are comprised of, if I have a 300,000 square foot farm, I've got five or six growers on that property. Mm. So it's not, mm-hmm. I think it's a total, you know, I think there was this, this article that came out in New York Times where, you know, Steve D'Angelo's Harborside was saying, you know, we're, we're interested in being, uh, the Mondavi of cannabis, and I, I kind of think that was mm. a bad move, you know, personally. I mean, mm. I, I in much respect to Steve. I don't mean in a disrespectful way. I just mean it in a bad way. I mean, in a in, in, a, in a bad optics way because, uh, I mean, even Mondavi, the way that they operate is, is sort of the Sunkiss model, right? You have all these small farmers from whom you, you source, and so we're kind of – that's sort of what's going on here, and so um, I think that to the extent – I think the survival. Methods,
0: I think that's going to give yeah. some people uh, a little bit of peace of mind because I think the the concern is that there are some massive conglomerates coming in, uh, and they are going to create high volume, low quality cannabis. Yeah. And that's the only way that legal cannabis will exist in the future. Yeah, I don't. Uh, basically, I, you know. I don't think so. so I,
1: yeah. You know, and there's, yeah. There's, th- so like that that, that version, that, that sort of Mondavi view, as it were, just to use that term. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, and I've heard this also from people in CGA and, and sort of the North Coast is, well, all that cannabis in Monterey is going to be squeezed. Well, no, that's not, that's, n- there's no grower that I'm aware of t- in today's market that pats themselves on the back and says, I'm growing pot and we're going to squeeze it all. I mean, there are mm-hmm. some for sure, like high CBD strains, I get that. But I mean, frankly, all growers have a great deal of pride around the craftsmanship of what they're doing. And frankly, it's really hard. And I don't think people Mm -hmm. quite comprehend how hard it is to grow high quality, consistent cannabis um, that is pesticide safe. It's just, it's very, I think that's the difficult.
0: key word there is, is high quality because uh, from what I understand, it's very easy to grow cannabis and it's very hard to grow good cannabis. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's a big difference. <laughs> it's a really big difference. I mean, you know, if, if I made some, some wine in my bathtub, uh, yeah, I'm sure I could accomplish something as alcohol in it, but you wouldn't want to drink it. Um, and I, I think that there's still a lot to left to be learned from the, the public as a whole, as to the nuance of, of what really quality cannabis, um, Looks like.
1: Yeah, and I think if I can can add something on on that, Brendan, if you don't mind, is I really applaud applaud and and was um, stoked to to you know speak with Hezekiah earlier this year, end of last, I can't recall it, up in Sonoma. Um, you know, he, he sort of trotted out this concept of Appalachians, and I, I think that, that cannabis is a lot like wine, and you look at, you know, how, how are small vineyards able to succeed? It's because they have Appalachians, and they get a trademark that is, you know, sort of based on the quality of what they produce, and so mm-hmm. I think all these small farms, absolutely, without a hesitation, have a shot at strength and, and persistence and relevance uh, in the regulated market to the extent that they can create a brand around the quality of what they do. and. The less, you know, if you look at wine, right, well, you've got Mondavi at sort of at the bottom one end of the spectrum, but you've got Screaming Eagle at the other end of the spectrum. And you've got people that have a wide variety of tastes all along that spectrum. And I see no reason why cannabis should be any different. Um, You know, the low volume, that's, you know, huge swaths of farms. Yeah, they are there. But, you know, you, you don't see the high quality wine producers wringing their hands over the massive farms in Paso Robles. And I don't think there's any reason you'd have the same issue as long as you're growing, you know, fantastic, high quality cannabis and you're successful at branding yourself and making yourself relevant to consumers. um, I I think that all those growers that um, are able to meet that mark are going to have a successful place.
0: Yeah, I think there's plenty of room for everybody. I think there's going to be lots of different tiers of offerings, just like there are in alcohol. Uh, But the price of cannabis is falling um and it has come down quite a bit in in the last uh, i don't know a couple of years so or here uh what do you say to that i mean how often do, do potential entrepreneurs or people coming from the black market going legal how concerned are they about about the, the price of cannabis and, and it's falling uh I,
1: I would say that most of the farmers that i talk to and that are we're working with they're they're um their focus is of hey if I can if I can cultivate and and get my my cost down to five hundred pound five hundred bucks a pound, um, I can survive this thing. And the more aggressive are shooting for three hundred. And, and and one of the interesting things that I found is that when you have really fat margins and mm-hmm. really undefined, indistinct com- competitive landscape, there's no drive for innovation. Meaning systems that would reduce your margins. If you're making fat margins, then you know why put a bunch of energy into reducing my margins other than just make a little bit more money. But when sure. you're when you're focusing on on how do I squeeze every last penny out of my crop, you've moved from sort of a family farm, you know, a jolly farmer, you know, gentleman farmer to a more uh, business uh, savvy type of farmer. Um, you're gonna see a drive towards innovation. And that's that's why I see, I, I expect to see 2018, 2019, spark a massive um, move towards things like LED production, uh, integrated pest management systems, uh, using consultants that can reduce costs and, and improve um, efficiencies. Uh, that, that sort of drive for those services or those quality of, of offerings, um, just hasn't really existed so well in the cannabis space. Mm. Um, every grower yep. is like a master grower, and you can't tell them, you know, boo about how to improve their processes. But I think that's going to change, and I think people are going to be more open to, to change because the the you're right; those margins are going to shrink. Um, I still think though that on par, um, it's going to be margins that are for quite some time are going to exceed margins that are realized in more traditional industries.
0: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Is any of that <clears throat> squeeze and, and that that price coming down? Uh, is that going to be reflected at the retail level? Because from everything I see, uh, and uh, of course there's lots of restriction and and taxes associated with the retail cannabis today. Uh, the the price the the wholesale price of cannabis has not yet affected the price of retail cannabis. You think you're going to see that?
1: Um, gosh, I have no idea. Uh, it's I, I mean really <laughs> I like you know it's answer. so hard to know what the heck is going to happen here i mean for example like in colorado they were you know how long were they medical before they went wreck and and how hard was it to mm-hmm. get med versus you know california california we've got such a history with cannabis and people who who, who use cannabis i mean they they're not sweating wreck it's like it's how hard is it to get cannabis right it's so easy mm-hmm. so I I wonder if we're going to have the same kind of 5 to 7x uptick in in purchases that Colorado has. Um, It's hard to measure black market transition. It's hard to measure new new consumers uh, at this time. So I I don't know how that's going to affect the marketplace. I think that some of the better minds were saying the price is going to drop precipitously over the next couple of years. I agree with that. So it's uh, what I expect to see happen, and without giving too much detail, because I don't have a lot of detail to offer other than gut feeling, is I, I kind of expect the price to drop precipitously out of frenzy in 2018, and uh, mm-hmm. I expect by the 20, beginning of 2019, it's going to start to rise again. And the reason I think Got it's it. going to start to rise again is I think that farmers and Folks all along the production lifeline are going to basically say, hey, wait a second, I need to cover these costs. This is ridiculous. Um, And they're going to start to load their costs. And so I I, I would expect prices to increase, um, especially with taxes and those issues. And I I don't know, you know, the wild card here is government. Um, What kind of Mm -hmm. incentives or disincentives they're going to impose into the market?
0: Yeah, that's a great transition. I was going to ask my next question. Your you're, you're training, your background is as a lawyer, um, and uh, you've been in the business a long time, uh, probably longer than before it was even a business, or somebody would call it that, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, all the regs that are that are pending, both uh, recreational as, as well as medical, the new draft regs came out in California, and uh, seemingly people are up in arms about a few small regulations like packaging and, and milligrams per, uh, you know, per package, some distribution stuff. Is there a portion of, you know, new proposed things that you think people are missing, uh, something that's not being talked about enough?
1: Um, it's <laughs> a tough question. There's, there's quite a, you know, the thing I with, try to ask the good ones. Yeah, I try to ask the the good thing ones. with regulations is that it's, and it's probably the best, tool that I ever got out of law school and being a lawyer is being able to shift from micro-analysis to macro-analysis back and forth flexibly. It's like a muscle, right, being able to go back and forth and look at it, and I always try to have my last angle of, of perception to be sort of what's on, on the macro, you know, how are we doing? Um yep. On the macro, I think we're there, there, There's this has been really successful um, as far as the, the trailer bill, uh, now we're looking at the second one, 133 coming through. We're starting to clean up and synthesize med and rec. I mean, it, yep. it, it's to those who are listening, we all know there's absolutely no difference between a medical, you know, strain and a recreational strain. But the people who are passing the laws are just sort of wrapping their head around that right now. Um, they yep. they don't quite get that, and so. Uh, I'll take it from a manufacturer's standpoint, right? If you're not going to allow co-location, meaning I cannot manufacture medical and rec in the same facility. You're you're saying that I have to raise not $5 million for one facility. I have to raise $10 million because I need one facility for medical and one facility for rec, and they make the exact same product. That is just dumb. And so it's a difficult time. We have to sort of sell that to the government so they understand not only is that dumb – because it's expensive and cumbersome, but it creates double the security risk, it creates double the cash management issues, double the track and trace. It's it's not elegant and it's not thoughtful. Um, I, I've, yep. I, I'd like to see California, and I see it going in this way. So shifting sort of down to the micro, um, you know, as long as we can align the, we're not gonna get all everything we want in one day, right? It's gonna have to be an evolution. And so when I look at it, I say, are, are are the laws going in the, the right way in terms of basically the distinction between recreational and med is felt nowhere in the supply chain, but at the counter. Mm-hmm. That to me is the most elegant yep. and simple way to handle this thing. And so it's not going to yep. happen. It, it ain't going to happen in October 2017. We're going to get there though, because it just makes business sense and it makes tax collection sense. So I, I see it heading that way. And so when I see things like um, the governor rejecting rejecting bills that prevent people to you know from creating T-shirts to advertise their brands or um, rejecting yeah. packaging bills and saying let the regulators figure this out. They've been thinking about it longer. Uh, they've been they've got the depth of expertise rather than you know the 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 fine assemblyman from Visalia or whoever coming up with some pot initiative and he's you know he's never even never even tried pot right. So it's. It, it, I, I think that if we have the government pushing... Is it a lack
0: of knowledge? Is it a lack of experience? It, it's or all, yeah. is this obstructionist? You know, I mean, yeah. it, is it intentional in some way to slow things down?
1: I, I don't think so. Um, you know, when I think about intentional obstruction, I, I look at the Trump administration, and uh, it's speaking out of all sides <laughs> of all mouths, and it's designed to create confusion. And I think that, that strategy is, let's create confusion and retard the. Hello? Do you have any there? Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I'm here. Go ahead. I uh, apologize for that. I uh, so, No worries. Uh, I think that that strategy is designed to uh, retard the growth of the markets. They, they know the markets are going to grow and that it's, it's beyond their control. Um, the state legislature, however, I think it's different. I, I think that there's a bit of self-serving, like, how am I going to get elected again? Um, are we making a mistake with cannabis? It's difficult. I and mean, put yourself in a regulator's position where you're against cannabis. You you are, you're raised to believe that cannabis is evil. Um, and anybody who touches it immediately turns you know gay. How am I going to deal with that terrible terrible situation? With the fact that almost all Californians want me to regulate this thing. Yep. And so I see a lot of those folks having um, you know their 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 maybe have very misguided, um, personal and moral politics, um, conflicting with what their base wants. Um, and it's, it, I see that is the rub. Uh, it's not so much that they're trying to kill the thing. I think that everybody realizes we can't kill this thing. Uh, I hold no pretenses that, uh, the good, the good regulators and legislators of our state and senators got together and said, you know, we really should give this marijuana thing a shot. Let's let's pass, you know, MCRSA. You know, that's not what happened. Huh. They basically said, California, with are going to vote in cannabis in 2016. We better lay some tracks down, or we're going to get our asses handed to us.
0: Yeah, we got to so, deal with this. We so they laid tracks this, yeah.
1: down, and that's exactly what happened. Californians overwhelmingly said, no, we want recreational marijuana. And now they've got a track upon which they can put that very, very unwieldy beast. And so that's that's how I see it. And and, and hopefully, uh, we've been doing a lot at the legislative level meeting independently, individually. As I meet legislators, um, even those that were representative of law enforcement, I think they're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with it um, and starting to realize that who we're dealing with here, who we're dealing with, are the people that want to participate. Mm-hmm. It's the people that don't want to participate that are getting marginalized. So how do we work with the people who do want to participate? And that divide is starting to expand, and legislators are getting a little bit more and more comfortable. Um, even in the more rural areas that are really antagonistic to cannabis, um, they're, they're starting to get comfortable. I'd say the last people to the party is probably going to be law enforcement, and particularly the sheriffs that are elected because mm-hmm. they have a bit of autonomy from the cities that are that are allowing this in. Uh, but even sheriffs, I noticed in some counties, mine particularly, are starting to realize, okay, this is what it is. Um, how do I do a good job of of protecting it, even though I think you know, everybody's going to die if if we allow it to happen?
0: Yeah, we had uh, Ross Mir Karimi, who was the uh, the sheriff of San Francisco. Uh, on the show when he was still the sheriff i think he was the only one at that time in california that supported cannabis uh interesting perspective there too uh this has been a great conversation we're almost out of time here uh everybody should go check out groupoffloor.com and consider joining the ecosystem i think that's the best way to describe it gavin it's been super interesting thank you for taking the time uh any last words here anything else to include
1: no i just you know thank you very much for the opportunity to uh to prattle on and on i you know if you live and breathe this stuff it's it's easy to do um and i just it, it's it's mediocre. i agree you know that, that i are, are agree
0: that it's an easy topic to talk about there's so much to talk about and i just feel lucky that i uh, i get a chance to do it and and thanks for coming on the show again it was a great conversation groupofloor.com and uh, we'll see you next time guys thanks